Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. A parent, <clears throat> parents, hope for one thing above all others for their children, that they grow up to be good lovers of God, lovers of the kingdom of God. If that happens, no matter what else happens, all is well. Well, poor Philo- Philologus of Sinope, Philologus of Sinope, that's a mouthful, Poor Philologus of Sinope was not so lucky. (laughs) Despite the fact that he was one of the 70 disciples of the Lord, he was also consecrated later by bishop, as a bishop by St. Andrew, the apostle, and he's commemorated a saint in the church. But Philologus had a son, and this was back when bishops had sons. He had a son that actually turned out to be more than just a disappointment. Philologus's son was Marcion. Marcion became one of the great heretics and enemies of the church. Now, sometimes our children might disappoint and even embarrass us, but poor Philologus suffered uh, beyond the pale in his case. Marcion was, by the way, not just some blip on the screen. He had a really devastating effect on the church, which lasted centuries. It's really early on. He was born uh, just 15 years before the Apostle John died, about the same time that the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts were written, same time that Josephus wrote. This uh, Marcion, as I like to call him, the son of a bishop, he uh, (laughs) he was actually the first to publish a collection of scriptures along with his own commentary, and teaching, which became the first so-called New Testament canon, the Marcion Study Bible, if you will. His depleted canon was, in fact, the catalyst for what became eventually our New Testament canon, which was collected and developed, in part at least, to refute Marcion and his canon. He started his own church, and the Marcion Church And the Marcion Bible uh, survived and caused trouble to the church for many, many centuries, actually. So what is the uh, essence of Marcion's doctrine? Well, essentially, Marcion taught that Jesus Christ was a new God. He was the God of love. And he had nothing to do with this angry, vengeful God of the Jews who had created the world, this God of the Old Testament. That God was not, in fact, Jesus Christ's divine and eternal Father. There's no connection between them. The God of hate and punishment and vengeance and the God of love. Marcion was roundly denounced as a heretic by many people, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian, and others, and he was excommunicated from the Church of Rome around 144. On a side note, 
he had given a very large monetary gift of about 200,000 silver coins to the Church of Rome when he came there from Turkey, originally from Asia Minor. And this money was returned to Marcion when he was tossed out of the church, which he presumably used to start his own church when he returned to his homeland in Asia Minor. And I don't want to second guess our Holy Fathers, but one has to wonder if this was a smart move um, to give him his money back. <laughs> At any rate, Marcion came to my mind this morning as I was contemplating our gospel lesson. There are still uh, among us Neo-Marcionites in the church. Of course, they don't and wouldn't, I, I wouldn't think. I've never heard anybody outright teach what he taught. But there are many Christians who are sort of emotional Marcionites. They still think of the God of the Old Testament as this angry, wrathful God and Jesus Christ, the God of love, and the New Testament, the covenant of love and mercy. The Old Testament, the covenant of punishment and wrath and vengeance. In a very strange twist of events, this sort of misguided thinking has even affected some Orthodox folk in our day. Not that any of them actually believe in Marcion's heresy, but sometimes they sound like they do. <laughs> in their reticence to address or gymnastically contort passages from the Hebrew scriptures that deal with punishment and wrath, and things like that. If I'm being ironic, which I always try to be, I'm not very successful all the time, but if I'm being ironic towards my brethren who do this, I would admit that they're only reacting to certain Christian groups which teach truly a twisted and heinous view of God. Nevertheless, two wrongs don't make a right. And this misguided reaction which effectively disembowels much of the Old Testament, is a serious problem that we want to resist. At any rate, when Jesus was asked this test question by the lawyer about which was the greatest commandment, I can't help think that he had Marcion in view. Now, you may be thinking Marcion wasn't born for another 55 years. Yes, but Jesus Christ, as the second hypostasis of the Holy Trinity, the Logos and the Eternal Word, is both on the dusty streets and, you know, cobblestones answering these questions, but he's also outside of time. Marcion is every bit as present to him in that very moment as he always has been and always will be. We know and are familiar with Jesus' brilliant answer, which we heard today in the Gospel and in our antiphon, he basically pulls two commandments together, one from Deuteronomy and the other from Leviticus. And he says the greatest commandment is basically to love God and neighbor with your whole self, all in, holding nothing back. And then he adds this saying, he says, all the law and the prophets hang or depend upon these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang upon these commandments, to love God and your neighbor with your whole entire self. Now, some folks might have read Jesus' reply in this gospel lesson a little sloppily and have come to the conclusion that we no longer need the law and the prophets, that they are somehow now obsolete, made irrelevant. And we even have that false prophet in our day who has 
preached, all you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love, love, love. <laughs> love is all you need. Well, I don't think he was thinking about that when he wrote that. That is, in fact, not what Jesus said. His answer to the lawyer does not devalue or dismiss the law and the prophets. In fact, if you pay careful attention to what he says, he sets them in the highest order of things. He says that the law and the prophets are, in fact, all about love. They have been sorely misunderstood. And Jesus gives the key which unlocks their true meaning. It is only through the lens of love that you will understand the law and the prophets, the divine re revelation in the Holy Scriptures. He is, in fact, by saying this, not depreciating the Scriptures, the law and the prophets. He is raising them to the highest order, just the opposite of the way people might hear his response. Perhaps the greatest tragedy in all of history was the Jews' rejection of Jesus Christ, their own Messiah. They rejected the very one who manifestly and personally, vocally, bodily, presently, gave them the law on Sinai. Why? Because they did not understand the love of God in the law and the prophets. Over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus admonishes them. Have you not read the scriptures? Do you not know the scriptures? You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures. The scriptures speak of me. And then he says over and over, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. We read of the love of God in Christ. The love of God in Christ is revealed in the law. And in the prophets, he opens their minds to understand the scriptures, the law of Moses and the prophets concerning himself, how they must be fulfilled. And on and on, we read again and again in the Gospels. All the reference, by the way, to the scriptures in the New Testament are a reference to the law and the prophets and, and the other works of the Hebrew scriptures. When we think about love, what love is, what love looks like, what do we think about? What does love look like? Flowers and chocolates. Holding hands. Where's my wife? Doing the dishes. Perhaps. A generous gift, a kind word, a thoughtful gesture, listening attentively to someone who's in distress? Well, certainly all of that, but we also think immediately of that wonderful and beautiful passage of St. Paul, which he wrote so we'd have something to read at wedding ceremonies. We all know that one. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
Love never fails. Love is all of these things and more. And it is a beautiful passage that we should commit to memory and dwell upon. But have you ever thought that St. Paul here is actually describing the revelation of God in the law and the prophets? Certainly, if anybody knew that, it was St. Paul, an expert in the law. We need to know Christ, not just in St. Paul's passage, but we need to go know Christ in and through the law and the prophets. It's not optional, and it's not passe, just because Jesus has come in the flesh. We must know and see and understand who Jesus is and what he did for his creation, for you and for I, in and through the law and the prophets. And that is made very clear in the New Testament to us. According to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. Have you not read the scriptures? Do you not know the scriptures? When we think about love, which is everything, of course, it is that which upon all else hangs and depends. When we think about God who is himself love, and when we think about what it means for us to become love, we need to realize that, you know, flowers and chocolates and even 1 Corinthians chapter 13 don't tell the whole story. But the whole story actually is presented to us in a picture. You know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. So when you want to know what love looks like, what the love of God looks like, then look up at that crucifix which you are called to love and endure, adore, and embrace. If you will look very carefully and contemplate it deeply in that symbol of God's love, you will see flowers and chocolates. You will see beauty and holding hands and doing the dishes and a comforting word. But you also see a whole lot more. And if we are going to love like God loves, we need all of it. You know, when God created the first Adam, that was present. That was the kind of love that was present, that love. When God went hunting for his creature who was hiding in the bushes, that was the love that he brought with him. That's the love of God that we must embrace and emulate and live in. The love that's expressed throughout the law and the prophets and the gospels and St. Paul's beautiful passage. We need all of it. We need to go and learn what that means and to embrace this beautiful cross and the love of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.